No, it's the Creator Spaces show. Do you consider yourself a creator? I absolutely do now. Although I stumbled into being a creator as my television career in South Africa started to decline, I was a producer and host of what was at the time the biggest business advice show in South Africa. So there was a business advice show that frankly was the reason why shows like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, at least our versions of those shows, were reluctant to launch as franchises in South Africa because of a show I was the face of. And I went from being talent on that show in year one to being a producer in year two, consulting to the main sponsor in year three and four, making more money as a producer and consultant to the television sponsor than I was working on the show in year three and four. And then in year four, the show got cancelled at its peak because of a change of politics at the bank that was sponsoring it. I was being put on by the biggest private independent television channel in the country and was being watched by six million people a week. That was why I was a broadcaster. And that's what I owned. And I felt like such a big deal. And I felt so accomplished. And the TV star, of course, was starting to fade in that regard. And I was out of a job and I saw people be lining up to just put to capture that charisma in some other projects to that would validate my being a broadcaster, but that never happened. And really, I, I discovered podcasting while news reading at the radio station for the biggest show on that station. And I discovered the startup podcast and I was the startup by Gimlet Media. And I was certain that podcasting would completely disrupt radio in two years because it was just this magic that would be unstoppable. And I decided this would be the way I would extend the life expectancy of my career and relevance as a broadcaster. And so as an accoutrement to my broadcasting career, I became a podcast. But now I think of myself to answer your question directly as a creator, not because of the need to find a platform to validate quote unquote mainstream broadcaster status, but truly as a means to express creatively, to communicate messages, to do businesses, to create strategic consulting opportunities, and most importantly, to convene and serve communities. That's how I think of myself as a creator now and in the traditional sense. And that's why I'm loving this whole wave we're on with reframing the creator, because it would have been nice to have that sort of thing to look up to early on so that I wouldn't have had to try and cling to being a broadcaster for so long. And so now you're creating podcasts, you've got African Tech Roundup, and you've got a few different plans around that. Do you create anything mm -hmm. beyond podcasts? Every day, except for one, Saturday, a mate of mine, Tumiso and I, jump on for a 10-minute show we call the 10-minute check-in. And it's an Instapod on hashtag living truthfully. And we've really just decided to make public something we do rather regularly, which is to check in on each other professionally, like what we're learning professionally, we share life hacks for the work we do within the world of creating and brand building and marketing and consulting. And then we also discuss matters of motivation and faith and all these other things that influence the work we do. And we do this now publicly for very strictly 10 minutes. There's a bell that goes off once this 10 minutes is up and it goes off, but it's all saved and you can watch it later on IGTV. So that's a new thing I'm working on because I really do want to lean into this whole creator thing. There's a perfectionist sensibility I have, which I think I need to crush. Yeah. Um, Daily content <laughs> will crush perfection very quick. Yeah, I think this show is definitely an exercise in me avoiding perfectionism. Let me just finish answering your question about what else I do. So yeah. there's a version of Angile that's leveraging this creative talent and expertise at building this brand, African Tech Roundup, and this community. And people want some of that magic. And so, yes, I consult on a number of brands in that space. 
And it's increasingly becoming most of what I do for a living. Although, yeah, they're very weird and wonderful things that as you're showing up consistently to a community of people gives you the opportunity to do and you probably wouldn't start a year out knowing that's what you'll be consulting in by the end of it. How do you go about building up your audience now? Oh, initially, this was a very random thing. We literally thought naively the novelty of being early to podcasting in South Africa and on the African continent would do it. Now, what am I doing actively? Yeah. I'm up between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m. meeting with my team of three to thoughtfully curate the work we're about to relaunch for the platform for our reboot on the 25th of May. So right now, what does that look like? It's not just showing up or leveraging a platform that's seems to, in a relative sense, be able to attract the attention of at least 800 people odd every week, organically via SEO, because Google African Tech and we rank organically. And so there's a sense in which people already here don't try any harder, just do more of what you do, increase the frequency. But what we're doing is thinking really long and hard about what co-assigned value looks like as far as the offering. We are going from one piece of content a month to five when we relaunch. That's the plan. So it's a big jump. We're trusting the algorithm magic will assist in rewarding the extra effort. But more importantly, we're building a moat and we're trying to set a standard for what it looks like to earn the right to have people's attention and leverage that in interesting ways. And right now, we're also plotting how we're going to, as quickly as possible, ensure that we have a model that relies entirely on how well we're delivering on that as a direct line to subscriptions that people pay because we do that and because they recognize the importance of what we do as a resource to the ecosystem. So I know that's a very long-winded answer. I guess what I'm trying to say is, in a nutshell, we hope and we sense that we're giving more thought than most would to what it takes to sustainably hold people's attention in the space, which I I think is a lot harder to do than striking once or several times successfully. You know what? I listened to a podcast recently, A16Z, and they were interviewing a bunch of former executives from Amazon, and they were talking about just how slow Amazon takes making decisions. Not like slow intentionally. They just deliberate about all the planning that goes into, is this a good idea? Should we do this? And in light of all the gold rushy type stuff to hack growth and make progress, I think that's the one thing also that has been humbling about podcasting. But also, I think it leans into a sensibility that comes to me naturally, which is, I believe in incremental growth. I think steady and deliberate is a good strategy. But I do think podcasting is the slowest medium far and away mm. for growth. Yeah. And that's why yeah. we've got this podcast. We're recording it right here on Twitter. Twitter has a 30-minute feedback cycle, maybe an hour. I know if a thread's right. going to hit in that first hour, but wow. if I put out a podcast, it'll take weeks or months before I really know if it's a good show. I can tell you, consulting to various brands who hire me to help them make podcasts, the nightmare brands to do that for, which sometimes you have to take the job because they pay rent. I've I mean, the worst work for the people who don't fully understand and embrace or value the long tail. And I think back to the question you asked, which I was wishy-washy about answering, because I know there's a sort of Nathan Latka type, you know, how are you getting growth? We're spinning eggs. I know there should be a straight answer to this is what we're doing. This is how we're hacking growth. This is how we're acquiring people. This is how much it costs per listener. But right now, the work is in delivering on 
the type of value that delivers maintaining your SEO ranking on certain key search terms a whole year since you've last put down, since you last published a podcast, you know? So I think that says more about whether you're serious about acquiring an audience or building a community with a podcast at its center than how many podcasts do you put out and how quickly is it growing? Could you break down a phrase you just used here? Yeah. So you said acquiring an audience versus building a community. And I want to break down that differentiation because I think the question I'd normally ask at this point is how did you start out building your audience up? But now we know you were the business guru on South African television. So that being the case, I'm guessing that's where you got your start with audience. But when I look at the phrasing you just used, acquiring, that's a spend term, whereas building, that's real work. And so what's interesting about that, so I wasn't the guru, by the way, I was the clever face. So I got the gig in part because I had some broadcasting experience and this TV show, of course, and a business degree, which was handy because the show featured seasons of 13 episodes that basically depicted businesses that were doing reasonably well, but could always be improved. And then these amazing business gurus from the highest echelons of entrepreneurial self-made success, quote unquote, giving them advice on the show. Andy is in the center of all of this, like building rapport and creating a vibe. And so the reason I mentioned that show is because of all shows I could have done on television, that was the show that actually cut my teeth in thinking about both audience and community because the production company had actually convinced the bank that sponsored the show to redirect all the money they were spending at the time on infomercials. They say, okay, we see that you're spending at the time the bulk of their above-the-line spend was infomercials on television. They say, give us all that money. We're going to go negotiate with a public broadcaster to give us early primetime slot. We'll create a show and we'll knock it out the park. You won't even believe why you guys stayed with infomercials for so long. That's how well this show is going to deliver on both audience retention for the public broadcasting, which was early prime time, and deliver on you guys getting everything you need from that sort of media to deliver on for the bank. So the show I was replacing was Medical Detectives. It was early prime time, had great ratings. The production company had to convince ETV that they were going to create a show that was going to hold an audience as well as Medical Detectives was clearly doing, because they weren't interested in a hit wonder, even if they were guaranteed the income for most of the slots associated with the show from the sponsor. They wanted to be sure that the show would be good. And in South Africa, there's also rules about public broadcasting. It had to meet certain criteria. So it had to go through commissioning. It was a mission to package this as something ETV would want. And of course, something the bank would sign off on. And they get thrust into this whole thing literally as talent. I went through a spate of auditions and screen tests and live focus groups to be chosen as the appropriate host for the show. And so again, my teeth were being cut in, okay, we definitely want your charisma and personality to make the show work, but we also need your business degree to come to bear. We also need the show to work on the basic fundamentals as far as appealing to ETV's mainstream audience and of course, delivering on business results for the bank. So that's how by by year two, I'm being roped into conversations that are ensuring that the show is both compelling and interesting to what is largely a very grassroots audience that a fairly highbrow bank that had very poor brand perception to that market was trying to appeal to. And Andile was playing translator and also wanting to make a show good and not corny, but also cognizant that if we didn't hit certain revenue targets for the bank, the show wouldn't get renewed. And of course, we needed to keep the broadcaster happy with rating. Now you can imagine that energy being channeled into, hey, you know, what if I tried making something work with podcasting? So a lot of that sense 
responsibility would have been poured into starting the African Tech Roundup, partnering with what was then the biggest newsletter servicing iAfrican. And they had a ridiculous subscriber list, 8,000 people on this email list, ridiculous open rate. They were just so well loved. And I made a beeline for Defo Mohapi, who's the co-founder. Dude, I'll bring the broadcasting chops. You guys bring your editorial, everything you're doing in editorial and your street cred. And let's make something happen. And that's literally how I broke in as, and over time became a voice and a legitimate part of what I call the village, which is the tech and innovation ecosystem that we now headline with this podcast or like to think we serve the ecosystem with. I think there's a lot of the business thinking that comes into making podcasting that is not inherent to a lot of podcasters I've met, having worked at the BBC, having rubbed shoulders with people who produce stuff for NPR or Giblet. I know a lot of people come into the space with a very purist sensibility around creating and making things matter. But there's always in the back of my mind, this has to work. And I genuinely thought this. If I honestly didn't think on the fundamentals I'd observed that podcasting was going to disrupt everything, like wholesale disrupt radio, which was very silly of me to believe, especially in Africa, yeah, but not least time, South Africa. I think had quality internet connection throughout the entire continent, then podcasting live audio would be identical to radio. You'd have the radio streamed just because it would end up being a cheaper option. But without right. that, like communication technology, I believe is the biggest barrier to podcasting at this point. The lack of steady streaming access throughout the world. The friction is real as far as that's concerned. And you're right, you know, on the African continent, Right now, we're a mobile-led continent. Uh, most markets, frankly, without mobile telephone companies and the internet delivered via them, there is no internet to speak of in some countries. And, and then, of course, most people are on a version of the internet that doesn't count to most people in the Western world as the internet <laughs> because yeah. it's an internet-enabled phone that allows sort of basic Facebook and WhatsApp relative to many parts of the world. There's very swift adoption of smartphone use as to the sort of sophistication of what smartphones are used for, you couldn't compare sort of South Korea or Singapore to the average smartphone user in countries like that with the average smartphone user in South Africa, except at the highest levels of affluence and early adoption. But it's growing fast. It's growing fast enough to warrant interest and bullishness, I think, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I think we're less than a decade out from that shift being done. And I see Africa as the likely hotbed of innovation for mobile technologies in the Western world because mm -hmm. It is a much more Western culture than where we've seen like India and China come up. TikTok right. came out of China. I don't know right. what's going to come out of Africa, but I have no doubt that everyone's going to be using it because there's going to be no other place that has that magic combination of we grew up without landlines and we're also super hungry and in places where this sort of innovation can exist and grow. Yeah, you're right, because Africa definitely, and again, speaking for the entire continent, <laughs> I'm only from one of the smallest countries. But genuinely, there's a unique brand of innovation here, a certain pragmatism that accompanies innovation that I think, and I say this carefully because obviously innovation for its own sake is good, but I would say, I listen to some of these conversations about Clubhouse innovating communication and like, okay, no, it is, and it's useful. It, it spawned a shift that's as this on the Twitter space is called, but Africa is a little more interested in innovation with a direct 
correlation with relevance and pragmatic usefulness. And of course, dreams are encouraged in some quarters. But for the most part, people just want things that work and that advance. And like, WhatsApp isn't the biggest social media network or tool in Africa because we want to be the cutting edge. It just works. It just fits into people's lives in a very relevant fashion. What's your yep. North Star metric for success? How do you know you're on the right path? Oh, so you'll have to indulge me slightly here because after I kind of kicked all those purists in the teeth for wanting to do work that matters, I think the bane of my existence has been struggling to do things for pragmatic reasons that don't align really neatly with my personal sense of why I was born to do what I was born to do. I had a debilitating speech impediment as a child. So the ridiculous providence that I speak for a living, yeah. it cannot be lost on me. And so I am very picky about how I deploy that talent and how I leverage it into the success of others and their projects. And so from that standpoint, whether I am doing a podcast and packaging it for an audience of say 50 to 100 on average on Instagram Live, doing something even smaller for my church small group or serving 71 million people via, you know, the Outlook storytelling podcast and radio show for BBC World Service. I refuse to reduce the, the metrics of my success to that. And I tweeted the other day, we should beware how we frame impact. And I was reminding myself mostly because it is tempting. What's your current goal yeah. as a creator? Sustainability. So as soon as we launch on the 25th of May, relaunch African Tech Roundup, we are gunning for our first thousand paying subscribers and our first hundred corporate supporters. So we're looking at charging around $12 a month premium membership and $50 a month and $150 a month silver and gold supportership fee. And we're framing this as an opportunity to allow African Tech Roundup to ensure its perpetuation without having to factor unhealthily commercial considerations that would force us to think about sponsorships and sponsored content and ad sales and things of that nature, because we've found that in the past to be a distraction. And yeah. so straight up and down, when it comes to African Tech Roundup, we're chasing those first 1,000 paying subscribers and first 50 and 100 silver and gold corporate supporters. If you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? And you get to choose the start. Oh, wow. Honestly, I would tweet back to Andile, who was at the time, I think, unhealthily invested in the commercial viability and the commercial potential of podcasting. I would say to him, beware how you frame impact, because this doesn't matter just because of your sense that this is going to take over the world and make you a relevant broadcasting talent and stop bathing off the glory of showing people you pick the right wave. Yeah. Just serve people. Concentrate on that. It'll be good. It'll work out. So I would say, beware how you frame impact. Focus on serving people and good things will happen. <laughs>